Hey guys, how about I take you to what I think is the prettiest library we have in Algeria. If you're into books, art, history, libraries, you name it, you're gonna love this episode. It's in the library of the University of Algiers. Let's go. The story starts in the heart of Algiers. You're hearing Rayan from the Instagram page at z.art.nerd. He's a self-professed architect geek, and today he's taking us on a tour of one of his favorite buildings, the Library of the University of Algiers. It was actually built in 1888 by an architect called Louis Dauphin, and it was built in the Beaux-Arts style. It was much in the style of the buildings around it, although it was much more beautiful back then. The University of Algiers was the first modern university in Algeria. When it first opened, almost all students were French settlers. We asked Rayan to describe what the library would have looked like back then. You see a lot of shelves decked in old books. And trying to read the titles here, you would see that they are different topics from different specialties. And as I said, in 1888, it was not one university. It was many faculties. And then in 1909, it became one faculty. And among the schools and the faculties were philosophy, medicine, math, biology. And now they somehow all study in the same university, in this beautiful amalgam, diverse, diverse university campus. And But in between the margins of these beautiful shelves and this library Rayan is describing is a painful past. 60 years ago, in 1962, this library was engulfed in flames. The phosphorus bombs released black plumes of smoke that lingered across the horizon, and anyone in Algiers could see it. The smell of gasoline lingered in the city for days. No one at the time knew who or what was responsible for this bombing, but given this happened as Algeria was fighting for independence from France, they had a hunch. The next day, the French newspaper Le Figaro published an article by a French nationalist who said 600,000 books were burning. We were not going to leave them, and by them he meant Algerians, with our culture and our science. End quote. Today on Kerning Cultures, the burning of the Library of Algiers, the missing books, and a single librarian on a mission to retrieve them. This is Dana Balutz, and you're listening to Kerning Cultures, stories from the Middle East and North Africa, and the spaces in between. And one story that always kind of captures my imagination the streets lost culture. And you're listening to Kerning Cultures. Producer Zena Duidar takes it from here. My first conversation with Samir Hashani started in much the same way most of my conversations have started in the past two years. Uh, Samir, I think you're on mute. You can hear me? Samir is a guy who loves libraries. He's Algerian and works at the University of Algiers. He's an academic through and through. I teach at the School of Library and Information Management. I have been uh, teaching there for the last 30 years. And I hold um, a PhD in library science. What is library sciences? So when you tell me you have a PhD in it, what, what does that mean? Library science is the... Um... Samir explained that library sciences is a field of study that teaches how to manage books and other information, particularly through collecting, preserving and organizing books and other materials in libraries. Samir's love for these bound volumes propelled him towards not only getting a bachelor's, but also a master's degree and a PhD in libraries. 
And most of his research happened, unsurprisingly, in a library. The library of the University of Algiers. Well, I, uh, I'm going to give you, when I entered the library, that would give you perhaps an idea about my age. <laughs> so I started my bachelor's degree uh, at the School of Library uh, in uh, Algiers University in 1978. A couple decades after graduating, Samir came back to the university to do his master's. He needed some specific material for his research. And I had to, to work in the rare book uh, room. And I noticed when I was there, some books scattered, uh, even some big books that were completely burned and not taken care of. And they looked very old. Then I asked uh, the uh, Mr. Abdi, which was at, the, at that time the uh, head librarian, and, and he said, these are books that were left after the, the fire of June 7, 1962. June 7, 1962. I want to pause here and set the scene of this day, a day that changed everything. Back then, the city was a metropolis of almost one million people, a third of whom were what were called Pien Noir. Pien Noir were people of French or European descent who were born and lived in Algeria during the French colonial rule, which began in 1830. And at this time, Algeria had been fighting a bitter independence struggle against the French for almost 10 years. The main parties fighting were the French government and the FLN, the leading Algerian nationalist party that wanted independence from the French. Bloodshed and destruction were an almost daily occurrence for the citizens of the city. At this moment though, in 1962, the parties had signed peace accords, paving the way to Algeria's independence. Of course, not everyone was supportive of the independence movement. The OAS, an extremist French nationalist group made up of French army generals and Pierre Noir, refused to accept that Algeria will no longer be a part of France. When it comes to Algeria, even they cannot escape this mentality that L'Algérie, c'est la France. Algeria is France. We just can't give it up. This is Andrew Bellisari, a historian who is currently writing a book called The Loose Ends of Empire, Cultures of Decolonization in France and Algeria. He explained that the OAS had led a rampage through Algiers since the late 1950s, killing FLN activists and sympathizers to the independence movement. They were trying to ensure that Algiers remains as the second largest city in France, a gem in the crown of the French Empire. But after those peace accords were signed in 1962... General Salon and the other leaders of the OAS feel like the irreversible has happened. This is the word that they've used. You know, they've passed the point of no return. Um, and their strategy becomes even more violent than it had before. Violence is mounting in Algeria. Bombings and death are a daily part of life in the cities of Iran and Algiers, as the secret army organization steps up its terror campaign in efforts to keep the African colony under the French flag. Heavy concentration of French troops... Their destruction escalated. In 1962, over 100 people were being killed in the streets each week and the walls were lined with OAS posters, slogans, and mobilization orders written in French and Arabic. Plastic explosives like C4 were frequent in the city, 
and you could never go a few days without hearing gunshots. The mentality of the OAS is, well, if France is not going to have Algeria, if we, the army and the settlers, can't have Algeria, well, then the Algerians certainly aren't going to have it. We will return it to 1830. This is actually a phrase that they use, you know, we will return Algeria to the way we found it. And that's exactly what they did. They began bombing everything they believed was theirs. Just two months previously, they had put over 30 kilos of plastic bombs in the Algiers Rectorate of the University, turning it into a skeleton of what it used to be. A day after that, they bombed the Algiers Daily newspaper, forcing it to close. They were on a rampage through the heart of education and culture in the city, burning it down into pieces. All of the sort of benefits of colonization, as they saw them, right? infrastructure, culture, um, we will destroy. Um, And they undertake a scorched earth campaign to do exactly that. And as a result, decades later, Samir found himself staring at these burned books before him. He was angry, angry at just how many books were lost. Books like the ones he had spent most of his life taking care of. There was a systematic destruction of everything that was Algerian. But for Samir, something felt off. The story of the library burning was well known, but the details were kind of murky. Some rumors were that the books were all burned, some said that they were stolen, but there were no records of which books were gone or how many were saved and what exactly was lost. And so, like any good library scientist, Samir began to look deeper. First of all, the numbers just didn't add up. Well, some people, for example, said that uh, 600,000 books were uh, went up in five, which, not, which is not true because otherwise there would not be a single book uh, left. He spoke about his concerns with Mr. Abdi, the head librarian. Turns out Mr. Abdi had been thinking about this too. He calculated it was around 252,000 books that were burned. And while many of the books that were burned could be partially identified after the fire, the books in the room he was in, the rare books room, they had mostly just disappeared. There was no trace of them anywhere. But the big problem is those rare books. Those rare books were not found anywhere. Amidst the over half a million books at the library lay dozens of real treasures. Manuscripts of sailors' memoirs from the 14th century, war narratives from the 13th century, and also many incunabula. Incunabula are books that were printed in Europe before the printing press got popular in 1500. They're the sort of books you see in period movies, you know, those tightly bound volumes with intense calligraphy and beautiful illustrations. That means a book could be 500, let's say a kilogram, but it could cost millions and millions of of dollars if if it's an older book. Not only were the books gone with no trace, but so was their card catalogue, the only one missing in the rubble and wreckage of the bombings. As a library scientist, Samir knows that any book logged into a library, particularly in the early 1900s, was recorded on a card catalogue. The catalogue, the card catalogue, is the ID of the books. If you don't have ID, that means that book does not exist. With the missing card catalogue, Samir became more and more convinced that the French extremists had stolen the books rather than let them burn. Where did all these 
and valuable books because you know they are, most of them are uh, one of a kind where did they go and i started like an investigation like the uh, <laughs> colombo i said how come these books uh, disappeared one of his first hypotheses was this maybe the attack had been planned as a distraction so the books could be smuggled out So as an academic, he did the thing he knew best. He started doing research and wrote a couple of articles about what he was finding. And then at some point, he decided to share one of those articles he had written with his friend, Bruno Boulanger. Yes, I remember vividly, you know, uh, because because he uh, he sent me um, his article. So I read it and I said, well, this is Samir. This is typical regular Samir <laughs> because I mean these uh, the the articles uh, um, no pun intended fiery <laughs> and when Samir shared his research on the library with Bruno he got just as excited about the project and offered to try and help solve the mystery of the missing books so I said what about trying to do something about it and trying to do some research about it. Samir agreed and filled Bruno in on what he had found so far. So just like Sherlock and Watson or Hercule Poirot and Captain Arthur Hastings, they were on the hunt. The two of them decided to go look for the books in person, in France. Samir thought that, given the books were nowhere to be found in Algiers, the only other place they could be is in the home of the group that burned down the library to begin with. And I went with my friend, again, Bruno Boulanger. We went to uh, Les Archives d'Outre-mer, uh, overseas archive, which is in X. I'm not going to try and pronounce that, but in English, that's the French overseas archives. And it's where the French keep everything to do with their colonial history. It's based in Aix-en-Provence, which is also known for being a stronghold for the OAS, that French extremist group. So they figured if the OAS took the books anywhere, it was probably going to be there. And then we tried to look, you know, for the books. We spoke to people. We couldn't find anything. For a while, it seemed like they'd fallen at the first hurdle. Years passed. But Bruno and Samir were still invested in the mystery. Then what happened in 2009, when I was in Paris to finish my, my doctorate, I met my friend Bruno Boulanger and he, he talked to his father Bruno spoke to his dad and told him the name of the head librarian of the university at the time. Given that he was originally French, they figured he probably went back to France after independence. With his father's help, Bruno asked around until finally they found him. In 1962, he was repatriated and sent to the University of Aix-en-Provence. Probably Sylvia told you about that already, right? They got in touch with the ex-head librarian. This man didn't know anything about anything, about uh, about books being sent to uh, Aix-en-Provence, but he knew the chief librarian in Aix-en-Provence. That's perfect. Yeah, that's yeah, that was absolutely perfect because he got in touch with that person, and she said, "Oh, that's interesting. Tell Bruno Boulanger that I'd like to talk to him." After the break, these two now detectives finally start to untangle the mystery. But like any good detective novel, their answers just lead to more questions. We're back, and Samir and Bruno are on an adventure to find and recover the supposedly bombed books. It's a lot of librarians to keep up with, I know, but bear with me. They've tracked down the head librarian at the University of Algiers when it was bombed, 
who put them in touch with the head librarian of the University of Aix-en-Provence. So our favorite library scientist Samir and his friend Bruno Boulanger traveled there to meet her. So we had this conversation and she said, well, I'm re- I, I, I've been intrigued for a few years now because there is a set of documents, books, um, in boxes, left out on shelves somewhere, and no one knows about them. And I think they come from Algiers. And then we found a batch of 700 books not belonging to the library, uh, University Library of Algiers, but belonging to the National Library. They were so close, but those books were from the wrong library. The books Samir and Bruno were looking for were from the University Library. These were from the National Library. They have similar names, but they're entirely different places. So we started from the hypothesis that the, the fire was a practical way to hide the um, taking of very valuable uh, books. We could not find them. We don't know where they are so far. But we found, on the other hand, 700 books, some of them very, uh, very valuable, like in Cannabinum, that were uh, at the um, library of the University of X. 700 books, all of them have been published in Algiers. And they're all about colonization. So that is a unique set of documentation about uh, French colonization in Algeria. And that's very impressive. That's very rare. Given that the books had the National Library of Algeria stamp and were never registered onto the University of Aix-en-Provence's card catalogue, Samir and Bruno knew that these books were never meant to leave Algeria. They were probably smuggled out in the same way they thought the University of Algiers' books were smuggled out. And that's the funny thing, because we, looking for something, we found something else. That's called serendipity, isn't it? While talking to Samir and Bruno, I really had the same question in my mind the whole time. Why would the OAS or anyone want to take these books in the first place? I asked Andrew Belisari, our historian. How do I want to put this? Um, It's one thing to blow up a power station. It's one thing to blow up an oil refinery. It's another thing entirely to go after the books. And that sends a particular kind of message, right? It's not just that we're not going to let you have the material elements of the colony that are needed to function after independence. We're going to ensure you don't have the intellectual capacity to do so. Most Algerians were artisans, laborers, maybe they worked in the service industry, but kind of at a lower level. Um, The French had not put a lot of emphasis on higher education for the indigenous population. So you didn't have a lot of technically trained Algerians with a lot of experience. And this was evident to the leaders of, of, of the FLN from the very beginning, that they might actually remain reliant on French expertise. And they ended up relying on French expertise actually into the post-independence period as well. So these books, in some ways, represented the heart of the independence struggle. They represented France gatekeeping Algeria's education. 
and Samir's hypothesis proved to be right. The OAS actually did smuggle books out of Algeria and into France. They just weren't the books Samir and Bruno were looking for. So we started from one hypothesis, we found something else. But it's still the same thing. It's still uh, books that belong to, to Algeria, and even by, by the law, they belong to Algeria because they have a stamp of a National Library of Algeria. So here's what happened to the books they did find. Samir and Bruno worked hard to try and get them back to Algeria. But when Samir contacted the Algerian government to help him return the books, they just ended up dragging their feet. Everything which is between Algeria and France is always very, very sensitive. You know, speaking about something like that, 60 years later, after the independence, we still, uh, uh, it's very sensitive between Algeria and France. It's more political. It's not, these are not books that we are going to, to, uh, to bring back, but it's more, you know, it's a political uh, uh, happening, which, you know, makes it a little bit hard to, to advance. I guess I'm sort of wondering, what's the future for these books? My, my, my hope is that they, they go back. And I, and I was even thinking a little bit like a, like a, um, a movie thing, that me, <laughs> Algerian, and my friend Bruno Boulanger would bring back, would bring back this, this book. What we wanted to do, actually, we wanted to do something about, um, about that dreadful relationship between France and Algeria. You know, which has been going on for so long now, you know, and uh, and we want. I mean, we were probably naive and wide-eyed about it because we thought that you know something would happen about it, and we thought that the uh, the um, National Library of Algeria would be really happy about covering those books, which never happened. <laughs> An Algerian and a Frenchman had walked into a library, hoping to find some smuggled books. While they didn't find the books they were looking for, the books supposedly burned during the fire at the University of Algiers, they ended up finding some other stolen books instead. As everything related to, uh, to Algeria, one question leads to another. And most of the time there is no real answer to be found. While we might never know the fate of the rare books from the University of Algiers, either smuggled in darkness or smoldered into dust, in spite of what the French extremists did to destroy Algeria, the university was rebuilt and lives on as a home for future generations. Samir is still working at the University of Algiers as a lecturer at the School of Library Science, and Bruno is based in Paris, working as a professional coach. They're good friends and have long phone calls at least once or twice a month. Samir still hopes to find the books one day. This episode was written and produced by Zena Duidad and edited by myself, Dana Balutz, with additional support from Alex Atak and Nadine Shakir. Fact-checking by Dina Sabri and sound design by Paul Alouf. Thanks to Samir and Bruno for sharing their story with us. Thank you to Andrew Belisari and Rayan. You can find Rayan on Instagram at z.art.nerd. That's z.e.art.nerd. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.